Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson, and today is Wednesday, May 19. Well, just ahead, an in-depth look at Lionsgate. Could the stars be aligned for the next big streaming company? Plus a potential cancer cure, a failed drug test, and a CEO who heads for the exits. And one big video game company says it's game over for the pandemic play. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, the one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's era.com, A-I-E-R-A.com. And check out The Drill Down on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeart. Hit that subscribe button, catch every show. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Connect with us on our website, bizpod.net, and let us know what companies you want us to talk about. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We talk about the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me as always, producer extraordinaire Isaac Webster. Isaac, what's the most important things going on in the world of business today? Hey, Corey, here are the top business stories of the day, the top three. First, I want to start off with uh, Wednesday, we saw stocks fall, extending this week's losses. Before pulling back toward the end of trading, at one point, the Dow shed nearly 300 points, and all this on those inflation worries that we've been talking about this month. Today, we got minutes from the Federal Reserve's April meeting. What they said was the central bankers want to begin planning for an eventual shift away from the Fed's easy money pandemic policies. But if you're looking at those one-year returns, the Dow is up 40%, the S&P is up 40%, and the NASDAQ is up 44% over the last 12 months. Really interesting, kind of stupid, you know, when the when the economy is doing better and and all by itself and interest rates can go back up, Wall Street doesn't like it for a day. It's it's such a weird way to look at the world, but that is the way Wall Street looks at it when they when the They've got to do it all by themselves. It's a different thing. But as you mentioned, those one-year returns from the bottom of the pandemic, just fantastic. Yep, they are. Uh, And the second story we're watching here today, investors increasingly turning against cryptocurrencies, at least this week. Bitcoin fell as much as 30%. Dogecoin, Elon Musk's favorite, it fell 21%. XRP down 29%. Ether fell 22%. Now, this sudden shift in investor mood for riskier assets is delivering some heavy losses to some less savvy traders. Yeah, uh, this is a, a really dramatic move here today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't seen anything like this in a while, but there's been so much speculation uh, on these names. You know, it's not atypical for a currency of any type to move 20% in a given day. Um, so the volatility in these crypto names or crypto companies and crypto the instruments, if you will, um, isn't unheard of, of course. What I was surprised by was the stocks that are related, you know, the companies that have made big investments in their treasury of crypto, um, Tesla, MicroStrategy, um, PayPal. You know, PayPal was up today. Tesla down just 3%, MicroStrategy 7%. Square, which saw a substantial part of their business in the last year from people wanting to buy Bitcoin because of the hype around it, Square was actually uh, down just 2% today. So, I, you know, I think it shows that in the short term, the market is a voting machine, not a weighing machine. That's a great point. You know, and these cryptocurrencies, it's not really, it's not just about the dollar figure attached to them, right? It's also about the hope for a different kind of future, a different kind of economy. Our third story we're watching today, Ford preparing to unveil an electric F-150 lightning pickup truck 
the EV version of this best-selling truck will go into production next spring. Uh, you saw the great shots. I tweeted it out at Corey TV of Joe Biden getting a test drive of this thing. He uh, he gave a speech yesterday, and he was in a Ford factory, and a speech was 20 minutes long or something. And he had an aside saying, you know, if I can ditch the Secret Service, I want to take one of those for a spin. And and he said, you guys think I'm kidding. The press knows I'm serious. And he did just that afterwards. He took the thing out. He he uh, he. His father sold cars. I don't know if you know this about Joe Biden. No. And so. Um, so he had he had even when his family wasn't very well off, he would always have brand new cars that he'd take to college. He was a big fan of the convertible and the and the and the slick rides, uh, including the uh, 1957 Fairlane. I can see Joe Biden, President Biden, with those sunglasses on, with the top down. That's a that's an iconic Joe Biden picture right there. Now, Corey, we want to mention Canoe. You've got a correction to tell us about. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Sorry, uh, I meant to, meant to mention that. So, yes, I made a mistake. When we make mistakes, we own up to them. That's what real journalists are supposed to do. Uh, I mentioned that Canoe had, had shuffled through many um, uh, CEOs and didn't even have one for the last conference call. While that was true in April, in the May conference call, they did actually put a CEO in place. Uh, they're trying to make electric cars and electric trucks. They don't have electric cars. They don't have electric trucks. They don't have a CFO. They have an acting CFO. But they do have, in fact, an actual CEO. And uh, I made that mistake. They also, um, uh, what they don't have, however, is something they talked about yesterday in their conference call, which is a deal with the University of Wisconsin. So you were reporting that they don't have the deal with the University of Wisconsin. What what do they have? So they mentioned, they did make this clear on their website, if you look at this, but they, they have a, a, a memo of understanding. I actually got in touch with the Associate Dean of Engineering, uh, uh, the Engineering Department at University of Wisconsin, and we had a chat yesterday, and he told me uh, uh, that they, they have talked to Canoe, and they're talking about setting up a program with them, and they have a memo of understanding to do so. Uh, Tommy Thompson, the uh, the chancellor of that school, uh, former director, uh, um, former cabinet official Tommy Thompson, um, has also uh, was responsible for this deal. But the deal's not done yet. So they have a memo of understanding at looking at setting up a deal with Canoe and the engineering department of Wisconsin. But that uh, deal is far from done. It is merely a memo of understanding. I got to mention that we do have an interview request out to Canoe's CEO, and we'd love to hear from him. And I will say that the Securities Exchange Commission investigation of Canoe, Canoe actually made Wisconsin uh, uh, aware of that before they talked about it on their conference call. I wondered if the school had been surprised or if they even knew. But as I mentioned, that uh, assistant dean of the engineering school at Wisconsin, which does indeed have a, a strong focus on uh, the future of cars, um, they are aware of that SEC investigation as well. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Hey, let's start with my old favorites, Take-Two Interactive. Take-Two, uh, full disclosure, I'm a big fan. Shares gained 7% today and shares have gained 26% over the past 12 months. What's new with Take-Two? And let's think about that. 26% is less than the market. Yeah. But in fact, there has been a fantastic gain in the number of people playing games. What's your, what is your go-to game you say uh, you're a big fan? Is it, is it Civilization? NBA 2K? It's, Grand it's actually, Theft Auto. It's actually not Red a Dead Redemption. Game. It's actually not a take two game. <laughs> okay, well, so I'm a civ head. I'm a civ head. All right, well, there you go. Well, these guys, um, as I mentioned, NBA 2K, Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, Borderlands, fantastic year for their uh, their uh, games play. They saw revenue for the uh, sales of games up 10% over the other year to $839 million in the quarter they just reported. But interestingly, the what they call recurrent consumer spending, 
It's basically in-game purchases, um, uh, you know, buying of virtual currency, skins, add-on content. That was up 38% uh, for the quarter and accounted for 67% of revenues. So think of that. You get a customer in to play the game, and they start spending within that game so much so that it's two-thirds of the company's revenue. Um, I think that's just a, uh, an amazing thing. It talks to the build, their ability to sort of really um, uh, use their customer uh, to give them the things that they want and continue to sell to them once they bring them in the door. The pandemic was really good for game companies. But the question is, how long will that shift towards tons of gaming last? Well, here's the CEO, Strauss Zelnick, probably the most fit CEO in the business. Do you see him on the cover of Men's Health? Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. In any case, uh, Strauss Zelnick talking about kind of what happened during the pandemic and what's about to happen for Take Two. We believe that the pandemic initiated a transformational shift in entertainment consumption revealing the possibilities of interactive entertainment to a much broader market, with interactive entertainment becoming the number one entertainment vertical. We anticipate that the overall addressable market for our industry will be notably larger going forward than it was pre-pandemic. However, as the world returns to a new normal, we expect a moderation of the trends that benefited our industry over the past year. We currently expect our fiscal 2022 net bookings to range from 3.2 to $3.3 billion, marking the second year in a row with net bookings in excess of $3 billion. We expect to achieve sequential growth in fiscal 2023, and over the next few years, we believe that we will establish new records of operating results, even above the spectacular performance we delivered this past year. So let's be clear, what he's saying is it's gonna slow down now before it picks up for the long term. Uh, I thought that was just an interesting uh, change of, you know, from where we've been to where we're going. We see the masks coming off, and that also means uh, fewer skins about to be sold by Take-Two Interactive. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's take a look at IOVance Biotherapeutics, an amazing story today. IOVance trades under IOVA. Shares dropped 39% today. Wow, and they've lost 54% in a year. What is going on with IOVance? Well, IOVance is uh, based right here in San Francisco or just outside of San Francisco. And they're basically, it's a, it's a cancer cure. It's an aspiring cancer cure. They're trying to harness the power of a patient's own immune system to eradicate cancer. And they're focused on uh, a cancer uh, immunotherapy product uh, across all kinds of indications, initially focused on checkpoint solid tumors. What is a post-checkpoint? What does that mean? post-checkpoint. Well, checkpoints keep immune responses from being too strong. And so sometimes they can, they can keep a T cell from going into a cancer cell and killing the cancer cell. So if the T cell can get post-checkpoint, it can attack the tumor. Gotcha. So it's kind of like getting past the checkpoint in that Tom Hanks movie, Bridge of Spies. Uh, I guess. I mean, well, post-checkpoint can give a T-cell a chance at least, right? If they can get past the checkpoint. So IOVance's uh, technology is supposed to load the T-cell with cancer-killing stuff. They call it TIL, short for tumor-infiltrating lymphocyte. So a TIL therapy uses a patient's own immune cells to attack the cancer. They call that infalucel. So infalucel loads the T-cell with TIL gets it post-checkpoint, and kills the cancer. So it's kind of like that Tom Hanks crossing the bridge with a briefcase full of secrets. All right, en enough of the Tom Hanks. It's, that's a bridge too far. I but, really thought you would look, like that, but oh well. Well, all right. So the news out of the FDA, the, the U.S. <laughs> Food and Drug Administration, 
um, was looking at the tests that they had submitted, the potency assays for uh, I, uh, I file you cell, and it wasn't good. The FDA said that their study um, had been set up poorly, and the entire study would, study would have to be recreated. They basically said that the study stinks, has to be redone, and it's going to take IOVANCE at least a year to put it together. Now, the agency had already hinted at these problems, and the company kind of tried to put away those worries. So the question was put to the CEO, Maria Fardis, uh, in their last quarterly conference call, does the FDA need some kind of education to even understand how to examine these test results of this TIL therapy? And she was kind of dismissive of that idea. Listen to what she had to say. They do understand the power of TIL, the, the, the fact that it uh, ultimately addresses multiple neoantigens and it is highly, highly polyclonal. So I think that um, maybe education is not the right word. Maybe the way is to better define a first-in-class product with this sponsor. There definitely is some time that needs to be spent between both the agency and the sponsor in trying to define how do we define such a complex product. So uh, she thought they would go for it. They didn't go for it. She seemed to have a real command of both the science and what the FDA wanted. She was just wrong. Well, she sounds pretty impressive, though. That was from two weeks ago, you said? That's right. She was impressive. What do you mean? Because what? she left the company this morning, much to the surprise of investors. So the FDA rejects ah. their test. Stock plummets. Yep. CEO's out. Um, so there, there goes the uh, the great ride for... Uh, from Maria Fardis at uh, Iovenix. So, we'll, so you know, Wall Street walking away from this, we'll see what happens when they resubmit these results and come up with a better study. But this promising therapy um, doesn't seem, the FDA basically couldn't even figure it out. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at the container store. The container store trades under TCS. Shares dropped 11% today, but they've risen 462% over the last 12 months. Wow. Yeah, what uh, what a year for the container store. Um, you know, they had reported fourth quarter results, and they were really big. I mean, 30% growth uh, over a year ago. Once again, it's all about pandemic-driven uh, spending. People saying, I'm stuck in my house. This place really sucks, and I got to fix it right away. That was good for the container store and lots of other companies in this space, right? Uh, container store sales up, uh, as I mentioned, 30% to $314 million. Profits up 180% to $35 million. Now, for the whole year, sales were up 8%. But the company says next quarter sales would be up 50%. So what was one of their best-selling products? Well, it turns out a lot of people were spending time in their closets. Ah, kind of like where I'm recording this show right now. I don't really want to talk about your personal life. You want to be in a closet? <laughs> I don't be want in to closet. be in a closet. It's not, it's not my judgment here. That's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> but look, uh, uh, this closet business is fantastic for them. Uh, here's the Container Store CEO, Satish Mahorta, uh, and the CFO, Jeffrey Miller, talking about it on the, the quarterly conference call. Yeah, Tammy, right now, uh, our custom closets business is approximately 50% of our total. And, you know, as we continue to heavily focus on custom closets, we expect um, – you know, for that to continue to grow along with it. Um, we're not necessarily sharing projections on how fast it's going to grow, but certainly we, it's part of the, our ability to double our business to $2 billion uh, over, over the next few years. That's a big piece of the equation. That's right. And, and primarily the reason we're not able to tell you the mix there is because 
all of these initiatives are going to be driving growth, and each of the priorities will contribute, you know, at at various stages. And so it's it's difficult at this stage to to donate, um, you know, what what percentage is going to be grown by which particular channel. But you know, huge business in remaking closets. Fifty percent of their sales, uh, as I mentioned, three hundred fourteen million dollars in a quarter. Half of that just closets. That's fantastic. All right, coming up next, Marcus Moore joins us from Zio Capital to talk to us about what he thinks is going to be the next streaming giant, Lionsgate. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Era's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes 40,000-plus investor events annually across 10,000-plus global equities. Learn more at era.com. That's A-I-E-R-A dot And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, we're back with the drill down. Marcus Moore joins us right now, portfolio manager at Zio Capital Advisors. Uh, Marcus, first tell us uh, uh, what is Zio Capital Advisors? Uh, Zio Capital is a fundamental high yield investment manager. Um, we basically choose to look at sustainability and ESG factors similarly to all other credit factors like leverage, free cash flow, management strength, um, with the purpose of identifying uh, undervalued or underappreciated securities. So that's why it's weird as hell. You're bringing me Lionsgate. What? Uh, uh, talk to me about now. Lionsgate's fascinating company. Yes. Uh, the, yes. the movie yes, uh, studio behind Stars Network and everything. Yeah. But uh, how is how does Lionsgate first of all fit into the, your sort of focus on high yield and your focus on uh, on uh, ESG? Uh, I'll start with the ESG side. Um, from an ESG perspective, the company really has a nice niche within uh, women and African American audiences. Um, I think at the last look of the 15 shows they have on currently, 10 are led by women, and of that 10, six are women of color. And so, again, as you think about the social responsibility aspect, um, it's advancing the cause of diversity is a pretty interesting thing, especially in an industry that has been criticized often for not being diverse. And so that was something we, drew, we thought was attractive. And then also that audience tends to be relatively loyal, given the fact that they don't have the same amount of options that are dedicated to them specifically. So when you're telling someone's story, they're going to be much more engaged, especially within uh, the female and African-American communities. Uh, from a business and high yield perspective. That, that's why there's too many Medea movies. But please continue. <laughs> you know, there. I, I have to say this. There were a few too many Medea movies just between me and you. <laughs> don't tell anyone I said that. So hopefully no one it's listens to late. this podcast. Well, we do want people to listen to the don't podcast. Don't hope so everybody listens to the podcast. Anyway, anyway, so let's I, talk about the so from a business perspective, so I, um, totally I think agree. the thing that we've appreciated about this is just the content. Um, you know, we go back. Um, I vividly remember 2019 when Lionsgate Stars Network was really going through the process of, you know, are they or are they not going to renew that carriage agreement with AT&T? And at the time, we as we looked at it, we were like, Lionsgate is actually in the is the is the better party to negotiate from, given that they have content. AT&T was still dealing with cord cutting and the like. Whereas Lionsgate had a very solid, uh, robust amount of content as it relates to what's on stars. But then they also have a, an expansive library of films from Lionsgate, uh, CBS Films, Trimark, Trimark, Miramark, et cetera. 
And so we viewed that library and that current content to be much more valuable than the platform in which it was displayed upon. And so, so let me paraphrase that, point, that. So what you're saying is, is they have such a thick stack of movies on the shelf that yes. that's where the value lies, not in the stars network, which, which while it might have great potential is nowhere near as big as uh, Netflix, Amazon yes. prime, Disney yes. plus the leaders in that business. Exactly. Um, and I think one of the other things about that is that this company isn't fooling themselves. They recognize that they're not Disney plus, they're not Netflix, they're not Amazon prime. They actually feel, given the niche that I talked about focusing on women and African-Americans, that they're a great supplement to all of those streaming platforms. And so from their perspective, they're too small to threaten those guys. But they also feel that they can play along in, you know, as a part of or kind of, you know, as, as they are actually right now with Disney Plus, you can actually get access to um, Stars Network app OTT through Disney Plus. And so they think that they can partner with those guys from a standpoint of one, the content that is on stars, the network, but then also, again, as we just discussed, the large, vast library of movies that are just sitting around on the shelf. Well, these guys are, you know, I, so I hadn't done a lot of work on Lionsgate until I knew you wanted to talk about it today. These guys are players. I mean, they, you know, they, when, when the, the thing that really captured my attention uh, was that they made a bid recently for Showtime. Yes. Which was a, which is a very aggressive uh, notion here, uh, right? That they would kind of in this in this time when you've got this sort of divestiture uh, by AT and T uh, to spin out the Warner Brothers product, when you've got a lot of big moves happening in Hollywood of of giant, you know, the, the big baller move of Disney launching Disney Plus, um, yeah. you've got these guys sort of stepping in and saying, "Hey, uh, CBS, Viacom, can we can we take that uh, that Showtime off your hands?" Uh, we don't know how far those discussions went, but uh, Business Insider did report that that happened. And I thought that was just such an interesting notion that these guys really do them see themselves not as a side project in Hollywood, but as a major player. Yeah, no, I mean, they do. But I think it, obviously there's a significant amount of ambition if you're trying to buy a Showtime. But at the same time, I do like that they kind of know where their kind of bread is buttered, to, to speak. Um, they're really comfortable with that uh you know, targeted audience from a content perspective. And then as they, you know, create content for third parties, they do understand that there's value in that distribution of that content. And so I think that was probably part of their discussion in terms of why they, you know, were interested at the time. Uh, we also think that, you know, that there's still probably a decent amount of consolidation to be done from a content pers perspective and then also from a, uh, you know, streaming perspective. And how that all plays out is, you know, to be determined. But as you've seen, you know, this week with, you know, Discovery and Disney and um, AT&T merging, merging uh, media assets. And then you have, you know, the rumor of Amazon potentially looking into MGM for something like something close to nine billion is the report. I mean, again, that speaks to the fact that there is going to be some consolidation going forward in this industry and how it plays out will still be determined. but. At the end of the day, it's going to be content that drives the differentiation from all these streaming services. And again, that's why we think Lionsgate's well positioned here. Uh, it, what happened in this business? And if, if you don't know, that's fine. But I, I feel like, you know, when I looked at the potential, right, Bob Iger hinted for a long time that Disney Plus or something like it was coming. Um, uh, 
but you had these sort of two giant companies that were able to be lost leaders in Netflix and Amazon. They didn't have to make a profit. They didn't even pretend to want to make a profit in their streaming uh, movie business. Bidding up the cost of content, right? Yes. Uh, our producer Isaac Webster's in Hollywood. Uh, my brother's works in Hollywood. Um, I, 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 the, the. You name it, whether it was Michael Conley's books becoming Bosch on Amazon or, or you know, just everything in the world was getting bid up at great costs in, in terms of Hollywood content by these companies that didn't have to make money. But something changed. Disney decided to get into this at this time. Stars, obviously, uh, the Lionsgate product stars also expanding into that area with, with original content. What, what was it that changed that made that suddenly – was it the audience suddenly being big enough or what? I, I think, I mean, in my guess, and I actually don't have, a, you know, a concrete answer to the definitive as to why this is more kind of a pontification on my part. Um, I do think that, you know, and as I think about this model historically, right, we had large cable operators who had a ton of channels and charged a ton of money. And for us as an individual consumer, we really only wanted about 10 to 15 percent of that content. And we said, you know what? You know, for this amount of content, I'm paying way too much money. And so now we have all of these kind of the Netflix of the world and all these streaming services have come out to provide a much more targeted offer. And to some extent, the consumers basically said, I'm willing to pay a little bit more just for the convenience of knowing when I turn on my television, the content available to me is the content that I want to watch versus having to, you know, sort through 500 different channels to really get down to the five to 10 that I actually watch on a regular basis. And so, so it was, it was on this, demand becoming a, a, a demand, right? It was, it, right. Was on, it wasn't on, it was, it was the consumer expectation for an on demand experience. Yes. I mean, in my opinion, at least, I think that's really what drove the focus of this is that what the consumer wanted was a much more targeted media experience and the large cable companies had no interest in that. And so as these kind of upstart streaming companies started, obviously you're going to be a loss leader to some extent because that's how you're going to gain traction. But as that traction has now been developed, you now see that the consumer largely wants this kind of tailored, customized experience. And it looks as though, at least currently, the customers may be even willing to pay even more than they were before as long as that experience is customized and they're really getting what it is they want to see from a content perspective. So it's impatience as a feature, not a bug. All right. So (laughs) when that translated to, uh, as I mentioned, Netflix, Disney, Amazon, HBO, Amazon Prime, HBO, they they had to pay a lot for the content. And that when I look at the uh, financials from Lionsgate, I see a company that has also uh, suffered from that. Uh, Their earnings certainly have suffered. You know, their numbers, their top line numbers look great. Yeah. The, cons- the number of customers looks great, yeah. but the cost of putting content, uh, getting that content and giving to them does not look great. That looks expensive. When you look at this business, do you expect those content costs to, to, to back off a little bit? Well, I think, the, I think the benefit to them is twofold. One, I think there was a point in time where they tried to be all things to all people from a content perspective. And I feel like this management team over the last couple of years has done a really good job of kind of creating a much more targeted content. and so. You know, right now, as I talked about from the stars perspective, the TV lineup on stars is going to be focused towards African-Americans and women. They're probably going to do, you know, 10 to 15 large, big budget movies, the John Wicks of the world, the Hunger John Games, the Twilight, you know, those. Oh, yeah, Knives Out, a, my daughter tells oh, me. Oh, yes. Yes. Knives Out as well. There's a, you know, they're already in production of, of, of John Wick. I think it's four and five now. I've not seen a John Wick film, but. You know, that is right. correct. 
<laughs> ready for some. I, 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 I was. It, it's funny because I was looking at their lineup, and uh, some of the last movies I saw before the pandemic happened were Knives Out and John Wick. Yeah. And that John Wick three, yep. a lot. Of my teenage kids loved it. Mm-hmm. It was violent as hell. Yes. Like even yeah. for yeah. me, it was. A, yeah. It was a little uh, much. But that's what John know, Wick the, does. Those, he kills people. That's that's what he does. Yes, that is that John Wick. <laughs> not, not you know, not you know, and like so, but, China shop. Yeah, but to get back to that, that point. But the motion picture business oh, right. to that, well, to, to that. So, right, their theater, theatrical business growing well over 20%. Their television business growing well over 72%. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they've, like I said, top line, these guys have got some really terrific growth with the right titles. But Hollywood's a hit business. Uh, you know, for an investor, that's a tough way to go unless you know which hit those, those next ones are going to be hits. Are these guys really dependent on getting those things right? No, actually. And that's another point I want to make is that 75% of their operating profit is tied to people watching television in their homes. And so as, you know, as they develop and, you know, create a stronger network of supporters and fans amongst the stars channel and continue to divide that, to develop that uh, tailored content, I think that loyalty will also help. And then the other con, the other thing is that as we talked about the cost going up, the cost in terms of cost to make content is going up, but the, the cost willing pe- people are willing to pay for content has gone up as well. And so that also kind of buffers them in this environment because, you know, right now there is no dearth of, uh, and there's no inability to make content. There's someone out there who wants that content and is willing to pay a large, you know, large sum for it. I mean, I think Netflix is, Netflix is com- uh, committed to 17 billion on content in 2021 Lionsgate right. is worth about six. Um, so, and you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, if the, addressing like the Amazon MGM rumor, right? If you're Amazon prime and you know, Netflix is spending 17 uh, billion, why not spend nine to get the MGM library and the content that they already have? And so, so in other words, it, the, the, the value of their library alone <laughs> might be an acquisition target. And that if, if that's not the reason that you want to own the stock, at least it's, it's a reason for them to continue to invest in this business and make this business bigger and build up that content library. Because what we're seeing over and over and over again over the last 30 or 40 years is that, well, it's called 20 years. The content library, as we move online, has greater value because someone's going to want a big um, uh, slug of content, not just a little one-offs. Yes. And I mean, I think you saw that throughout this pandemic, um, the company was able to generate $800 million strictly from their library because production for television and movies was down. And so, you know, at at very, you know, at robust margins larger than any of the margins that they get for their traditional television service or their um, movie movie business. And so given that you have that kind of a buffer that's, you know, relatively attractive or very attractive to a lot of these large streaming players out there, I think there's a significant value that's just underappreciated um, when people think about the Lion Gate story. You also see them focused on international. It seems to me, at least in terms of streaming, they've got a bigger focus on international, certainly more than I expected when I first looked at this thing this week. But, you know, Netflix has been talking about international for a very long time as the only place they're going to see a lot of growth. Disney hasn't talked about international much at all as it relates to Disney Plus. Neither has Amazon. But these guys really seem to have a focus there. Yes, they have. Um, They invested in 20, I think it's 2018 or 2019. It might have been across the years because their uh, fiscal years uh, overlap. But they spent invested five hundred million dollars to build out the the Stars Play International, and they're currently in fifty five countries. And they have a 
in, through, mainly in Europe and Latin America. And then they also have a 32% ownership in Stars Play Arabia that targets the Middle Eastern market. And so they've been able to generate you know, success through leveraging the United States uh, content library and then also buying and tailoring uh, shows for those local markets as well. Now, these guys have a lot of debt, right? They've got about $2.8 billion in debt last, uh, at least at the end of the last fiscal year, which is going back a little bit. That's that's a that's a big number. It's less than they used to have, but it's still a big number. Yes, it is. Um, and, you know, one of the things that this management team has focused on is that the initial $500 million was the large upfront investment. They won't need to make those type of investments on an annualized basis. And so on a go upfront on, basis, upfront and stars on upfront and starting the the, yes, the video the international the business. Yes, getting the getting the the licensing and set up um, internationally. And so as as they go forward, they'll continue to invest obviously internationally in, in content, but they will generate strong free cash flow, and that cash flow will be used to repay debt, which is what we love as debt investors here. And and what how is that expensive debt? I mean, what's it? What's um, it? Actually, they just what does the debt rating index. tell us about how what, how Wall Street or <laughs> well, you know evaluates I mean, the risk? The high yield market is a misnomer right now because you don't really see quote unquote <laughs> high yields. Right. Um, right. These guys just refinance for at five and a half percent for an eight year maturity, um, and that 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 bond is trading you know reasonably above par. So that current yield is somewhere closer to four and a half percent now. Um, and so that's a combination of one, the debt markets are very favorable right now. And then two, obviously, I'd say there's always been an interest in this story, but definitely over the last two weeks, we've seen an increased interest as people kind of view this as a potential takeout category, a takeout candidate, especially when you kind of compare and contrast this to the MGM uh, business model that Amazon and with, has with, an And as you mentioned, the rumors that Amazon might be looking at buying all yes. of MGM and just taking it off the table. Yeah. Interesting. What an interesting company. Marcus Moore, thank you for bringing us uh, a good look at Lionsgate. Marcus Moore's portfolio manager at Zio Capital Advisors. How can our uh, listeners stay in touch with what's going on at Zio? Is there uh, you, can look at our, website? You, can go our, you can go to our website, zio.com. And as we like to say, zebra echo Oscar, zeo.com. And then we also have the Zio Advisors uh, LinkedIn page and our content. We keep our content updated there at, at both sites. So you can kind of get a sense of the things we're thinking about and what we're looking at. Marcus Moore, thank you very much. Well, up next, the thank drill you. down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We've been talking about that content library for Lionsgate. How many thousands of titles do they have in their library? We'll give you that number when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA, the equity platform with event intelligence and insights for fundamental investors. Seamlessly connect to any earnings call and take advantage of ERA's AI power tools. Work faster and smarter with ERA.com. That's A-I-E-R-A.com. And subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, uh, iTunes, Spod, uh, Podbean. Spodbean's not a thing. Podbean is. You can find us there too, but hit that subscribe button and catch every show. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at Drill Down Pod. Link up with us on LinkedIn and check out our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Lionsgate likes to talk about their catalog. We've been talking about their catalog in their last annual report. They said they had nearly, I'm calling nearly less than, but nearly 17,000 titles in their catalog, in their stars catalog, of things that they can broadcast, which lets uh, the viewers go wide and deep in the Lionsgate catalog. 17,000, big number, Isaac. That is a lot of binge watching. 
<laughs> and God knows we've all been doing that. All right, well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. The show is edited by Ben Wilson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.